Welcome to episode 5 of SpiceCast, the only podcast where two people read Dune for the first time and proceed to alienate every Dune fan on the planet. I'm Ryan W. <laughs> yep. Bradley with Benjamin Alaco. Hey, Ben. Hello. Hello, hello. How you doing? Oh, you know, still here, uh, slowly making our way through through the book. Uh, yep. we're, we're both We're both in it for the long haul. How are you like a, holding like, up? Like a couple of guys uh, walking without rhythm across the desert. That's right. That uh, um, that's how it feels right now. Yeah. And uh, and We're, I wanted to start I, I'm, out. I'm still here, also, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it feels like a trek. That's that's all I'm going to say before we before we dive in. Yeah, and I you know I think that uh, the the next episode, episode six, will be kind of wrapping up the book. And then, oh, and then oh, after that, God. we'll go into the David Lynch movie and the the Hodorowski documentary. Um, so I think next time we'll have we'll have more time to kind of wrap up thoughts. But I did want to mention because I was thinking about this a lot and I tweeted about it a bit. Is that we kind of took a gamble uh, on this on this process and and jumped right in and started a podcast while doing a cold read of a book. And and I think we were both hopeful. I think we both wanted we're, we're to optimistic. enjoy the experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it hasn't necessarily turned out that way. And yeah. we probably, um, you know, maybe letting down some, some big Dune fans if they're sticking with us. Um, I just, I, I think that there's there's something to be said for kind of taking that risk that we did and and going into it cold and not knowing yeah. what we were going to come out with and this is what happens when you do that right sometimes sometimes it doesn't turn out the way you think it will i feel like this is this is a a warning to others who are thinking about doing something like this like well are you do you know what you're getting into <laughs> we we did the cold read podcast so no one else has to yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I, here's the thing, right? And I think we'll get into this a little bit, but like, I, I don't think I'm the audience for this book, but I'm glad that I'm reading it. You know, it's it's not the kind of thing that I'm like, I'm pissed off that I'm that I'm actually reading this, and I'm enjoying doing the show. You're, you're not saying it, uh, it, it's making me kind of examine. Well. I was just gonna say it's making me kind of examine like why like why am I not connecting to this thing the way that so many so many other people have because this is a very popular book so right. you know I'm I'm trying to stay humble about it you know yeah I think that uh, I, I was kind of thinking along the same lines last night because my my youngest son was like why are you still reading it if you're not having fun with it and i'm like well mm-hmm. it's it, it's not about that it's it's i mean one the podcast has been a lot of fun <laughs> yeah. but also like it is there's uh, this book has a place in the the cultural you know backbone of the science fiction world and and i think that there's value in in being able to say oh yeah i did read that versus mm-hmm. what I've done for years, which is like, pff, I'm not going to read that book. Right. 
Yeah. And and now we we know where we stand on it. You know, it's like we, we don't have that excuse of, uh, you know, I'll get around to it at some point or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. We we did the thing or we're doing the thing uh, again. You know, next time will be more of a, a postmortem that we can kind of tie the bow on things. Uh, yeah. I was just now, thinking here, about that he- a lot this week as I as I tweeted about it and other things. Yeah. Well, so, here's here's my question for you, Ryan. Ahead. Is uh, uh, yeah. are we are we gonna be reading the appendices, the many many appendices in this, and and responding to that as well? I like the way you say that because I mean appendices sounds wrong <laughs> in, in so many ways, but but I love it. it it's great. Appendices. There are appendices in this book. Um, I kind of flipped through them a little bit the other day to kind of see and try to gauge how they fit in. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they're necessarily like a part of the story itself. Yeah. I do think they're ancillary, so I don't think that that's something we need to focus on. Okay. Whew. So my So my thinking is that after the section that we've read... For today, we then read through the rest of the story, not worry about the appendices. And so the the next section, our last section, was I, I made a little bit shorter so that our episode could be a bit more post-mortem than, uh, than analysis of just a section. Yeah. I also just want to say I feel like your use of the term post-mortem is very fitting <laughs> with our experience of reading this book so far well thank you i uh i put some thought into that this morning <laughs> oh man as i, was, I, <laughs> as I, I do, was preparing I, I, yeah i i have to be honest that there were times reading this most recent section and the last section where i did start to get a little bit like what are we what are we doing why <laughs> Yeah. Do we have to finish this? Do we really have to? But again, I I, I don't want to alienate fans of the book too much. So I'm hoping to speak to uh, some of why I feel that way. And I think I think I understand why people actually like this book. And I think I understand exactly why it's not for me. So that that's other stuff that we can get into when we kind of start talking about this section. But I think it's it's kind of crystallizing yeah. for me why I feel the way I do, and I think I right. I think I get why other people feel differently. Yeah, I th- I think that that's an interesting way to look at it because I think there are things about this book that I could really like. Right. It, it's just like I'm not sure I can even like say it perfectly right like it's just this feeling like as i read it i'm like there are interesting things in this book Mm -hmm. and and for some reason they're not connecting for me in the way that they could Mm -hmm. uh you know i don't know if it's i don't know if it's writing style or just the choices that are made in the narrative um which we've talked a bit about i i think there have been a lot of points where i'm like why did we spend so much time on this thing and so little right. on this part. Yes. 100%. And those are the choices where I feel like, okay, if if 
if Herbert had made the opposite choice, this may have been more of a book that that would have hit for me. Yeah. So I, I I was gonna, I don't know if this will actually be similar to kind of what you're feeling, but I, I had the exact same thought and I, I had, uh, I, I did my, my, like, I'm, I'm trying to do weekly runs, you know, it's, it's winter, um, and it's really hard to exercise. So I'm trying to do like runs in the morning on Sundays now. And, all I could think about was what I was going to say. You know, I ran, jogged outside with a scarf around my head and all this stuff for about half an hour today. And all I could think about during that run was like, what am I going to say about this book for this podcast? And so I, I put way too much thought into this and probably put my head up my ass quite a bit. But <laughs> but could I, t- could I Did take that a keep stab? You warm? Yeah. Oh, yes. Very warm. <laughs> um, but I, could I could I... I don't know if we want to do this right now, but I could I take a stab at what I think is the issue for me, and maybe you feel the same way? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I mean, I have All some right. particular parts that we can that I want to touch on, but but I, I don't think we need to to be linear in any way. Okay, so this is this is gonna be a little bit of a diatribe, so kind of bear with me and and tell me if you think that I'm crazy. Um, but I, I was thinking about <laughs> what's going on in this book, the structure of the book, the way I'm not really connecting with the characters or the plot, and was really kind of trying to puzzle apart why, there. as you said, there are interesting things happening, but it's like the framing of them is somehow on the I feel stuck on the surface of things I I feel like things are happening and I'm not in them and I just see a bunch of actions taking place and I don't feel the stakes of them so here's kind of what I think is going on and and you know jump in at any point Ryan if you feel like uh, you can uh, empathize or if I'm off the rails but I started thinking about how much is going on in this book and it in the story structure and everything brought me back to one of the best pieces of writing advice out there, which actually comes from Trey Stone, um, obviously writer of South Park. So, um, Ryan, did you see by any chance the the documentary about South Park, like the, the making of? I can't remember what they called that. I have not. It's it's very good, and um, this piece of advice, I'm not sure Trey Stone is like the originator of it, but he says it, and I it, it really stuck with me, and it seems like a really elegant way to check that your story is not going off the rails, right? So one one of the things that he said he does, because they're, they really rush those episodes. They, they write them very yeah. quickly, like within a week, or at least they used to, right. and... Not not the best way to go about things, but what, what he said he would do to make sure that the story was at least solid or as solid as it could be is anytime you're, you're talking about the story, you're summarizing the plot where you have an and, like an and statement. So this happens and this happens and this happens. Mm-hmm. You should turn the ands into buts and therefores. So <laughs> this happens, but this happens. Therefore, the character does this kind of deal so basically you know the the structure of any solid plot is 
A character has a goal. They try to get that goal. They face obstacles, right? Right. That's just like the core of story. And I think that's what Trey is getting at when he says, turn the ands into buts and therefores, because you don't want the character does this and the character does this. And then this happens. And then this happens. And the character does this because there's no action and reaction. Right. So what you what you're talking about kind of reminds me of Dan Harmon's uh, story circle. Um, And I can't possibly remember all the steps of it but it's basically this process of like um you know what you're saying there's a goal there's a conflict there's a resolution Mm -hmm. what did people learn that sort of stuff these steps that that stories are supposed to hit yeah um and and i love dan Harmon, so i think about that a lot when i'm writing because i do think he's a genius writer when he actually motivates to write um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, as a writer myself, I have a hard time with that structure. And, and so then I spend a lot of time thinking about how am I challenging this? Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't do it consciously. I don't set out to say, oh, I want to skip this part of the the story circle. Right. It just t- tends to be how my brain works narratively. Um, Similarly, when I was when when I was in a band and I'd write songs, I often kind of broke out of that uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, middle eight, chorus, yeah. you know, structure. And it and again, it wasn't intentional. It was the way my brain was working. And yeah. the drummer I was in a band with, he uh, it drove him nuts the way I wrote songs because time <laughs> signatures would change and stuff. And yeah. again totally just happened when I was writing songs. I wasn't thinking about it. Uh, right. I'm not a technical musician. I never was, even though, you know, I played violin, I played all these instruments when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I never was able to read music. I learned songs on violin by listening to them. Oh, wow. um, so I didn't have that technical side. And because I didn't have that technical side, I tended to write things that were outside of the norm. Right. And it drove him nuts because he was actually a very good musician, which I was not. <laughs> and story is kind of the same way for me because I I worked so hard to, to write decently at all. Like it did mm-hmm. not come naturally to me and it still doesn't, I don't think. Um, that I tend to not think in those kind of set structures. Yeah. And I often wonder if that's a problem with my writing <laughs> or... Or not. Like, I don't know. I, I'm not a good judge of whether or not that has damaged my writing. Well, I'm thinking of, like, even... Not to go, you know, too far away from Dune for a second, but, like, I don't know. I, I'm thinking about, like, Winter Swim. I thought it was... It's been a while since I read that, but I feel like it was fairly tightly plotted, you know? Mm-hmm. Character has a goal, um, goes towards that goal. I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone. <laughs> you know, no, but... No one's reading yeah. that book anymore. well you know but uh, you know i'm just thinking about that that one in particular but um i mean but but here's the thing though right is you're right too that these types of structures they're not hard and fast rules right so and they're there so that i think we can have a kind of norm that is okay to break away from like 
the, sure. the structure of a Marvel movie or something is not going to be necessarily the structure of like uh, a Coen Brothers movie or something, right? Right. Not or necessarily, Coen anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, oh, we could, oh, we could, we could go down a path <laughs> with Christopher Nolan. I, I would argue that Christopher Nolan's plots are actually very traditional, but um, he, he's, he has other stuff going on that makes it feel like it's not. So he, he tricks you. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. But, but the structure I think is still, is still, you know, A to B to C. Um, but so I think though, kind of, if I can go back to what I was saying about the, the buts and the therefores, right. Mm-hmm. And, and the, and, um, so uh, I think what's going on with Dune is there's so much and, it's yeah. mostly and it's mostly this happens and this happens and this guy is in this thing and this guy believes this and this guy's doing this over here and this guy's got to fight this guy and this guy's got to fight this guy and this right. guy wants to kill this guy and but and there's not there there is a traditional plot in here and i think it's pretty simple and right. i think there's just so much other stuff that isn't really important Mm -hmm. as far as i can tell to the main plot so it's like there's just so much of this kind of tangential material that's like i don't know paul you know paul's going through this and paul's going through this and his sister is a witch and his mom has now drunk the stuff and turned the stuff into poison and or transformed the poison or somehow and they live in this place and the baron's doing this over here and i don't i i know that there's connections between all of this but i feel like this is this is gonna sound harsh but i i fundamentally don't think frank herbert cares or understands about that type of plot of of moving from character wants this to faces challenges character either gets this or doesn't right and there there are certain books that you read and and you start to wonder if there was an editor who challenged them or not Mm -hmm. yeah and and i think that frank herbert didn't have anyone helping him check himself yeah he has so many ideas and he's tried to fit them all in and he continues at Mm -hmm. you know five sixths five sixths of the way through the book whatever um to throw new ideas in yeah and that don't seem all that related to what's been going on right it's like it's like he it's like he got to a certain point and a new idea came along and mm-hmm. he threw that in rather than saving that idea yeah and and that is very difficult i think so far into a book to be able to make work yeah and and that's something we've seen throughout, um, and not all of it ends up being relevant too. So then you're left with the question of why? Yeah, <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. I mean, 
I, I think though that everything that you just said in the, the, the and stuff that I'm talking about, I think that's why people like the book because it doesn't feel like that linear plot of, you know, this, this character wants this thing and they're going to do the thing and they have this conflict. And so they're going to fight this guy or whatever. It goes all over the place. And I think people who connect with the book are picking up on that in a way that is positive that for them, that they, they feel maybe like it's intellectually challenging to, you know, figure out, what is the significance of all this stuff? And I would argue myself that in my reading of it, all that and just feels kind of, again, this is going to sound harsh, but it feels pretty unintentional and pretty sloppy to me. Mm-hmm. So, so like, I it doesn't feel deliberate and careful and planned out. It, I, I, I don't feel like this world is particularly coherent. And I, I don't think the, I don't think the world that he's built, I, it, it feels all very convenient to like what he wants to do with it. Like it doesn't, I don't know that what he's done here kind of constricts the plot in a way that makes it tense. It just feels like he can, he can kind of throw in whatever magical, mystical nonsense he wants to mm-hmm. just because he wants to. And it, it, it makes me feel the author's hand and I, I just feel like, I don't know. It's hard to describe, but, but all that and stuff is like, dude, pick a lane. Like what, what is it that you're trying to say? Yeah, I think, and, and I may have talked about this before. Um, I have a deficiency as a reader of, of being, averse to books that are super long yeah um and and i'm by no means like anywhere near add i i have uh a a really good ability to focus for long periods of time Mm -hmm. but when i read books that get too long i i get pulled out of the story and spend too much time thinking as an editor. Right. And so when I read a book that's over 300 pages, I spend a lot of time analyzing whether or not the extra length is justified. Yeah. And, and, and by no means am I someone who, who has the, the standing or, um, you know, literary chops to say that um, Frank Herbert could have done better. Yeah. Uh, I I just, as a reader, spend a lot of time thinking, why was this here? Why did <laughs> yes. we need these 50 pages? Mm-hmm. Would this book have been better if instead of 700 pages, it was 350? Yeah. And for me, the answer is Yes. Yeah. But but that's not the only that's not the only thing for me though. Because I do there are parts of the story that I want more of mm-hmm. that we don't get and there are parts that we get that I don't want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that this is one where 
I do think that a good editor could have come in here and, you know, we're talking about this like we want to edit the book, but the book is extremely hugely successful, right? So who are we to do this? But at the same time, right. you know, again, this this look, we're talking subjective. So people out there in, in the world who are like, fuck you guys, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I hear you. So I, I'm strictly speaking in terms of my subjective reading of this and, you know, my desire for certain types of stories. And, and, and I think, though, the issues that I have with the book could be edited out. And there, I, I think that there's a core of a fairly cool story here. Right. But it is so, to me, buried in all this other extra stuff. And this is something, again, I feel like I'm just bashing this book and this, and this author. Um, but I, I don't, like, I'm not really impressed with the prose either. I feel like... Herbert struggles with interiority mm-hmm. when when he's trying to write about a character's emotions and stuff. I just I, there's nothing there. I feel like he he uses this internal monologue thing where mm-hmm. it's it's italics where they're just talking to themselves and and he also relies on dialogue so heavily for exposition that I I have to question like is he just struggling to get to the character's emotional core so right he he doesn't know how to describe what's going on with them so he relies on this like ah i remember when this happened and ah look at this person and how i feel about them and i'm just going to tell you so this so is... there there's all that other stuff going on that's that's constantly pulling me out of the book and not helping so, I mean, that kind of is, is something we've talked about before, too. Um, we talked about it in terms of the gender roles and mm-hmm. sexual politics of the book, right? Where everything is very transactional. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the way anything that borders on emotional is handled in the book. Right. And and again, I, I mean one criticism I've seen of my own work is, is that it's uh, a little devoid of emotion. Uh, and, and, and I get that because that's a little bit how I am as a person. I'm a, I'm a little robotic. Uh, I was, I was just going to start yelling at you and calling you a robot. Robot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely emotionally stunted as a human. <laughs> and, and I'm very open about it. <laughs> but uh, the the difference I think uh, in what I'm reading here is that is that it doesn't it's not even that it makes the characters feel robotic. It makes them feel uninterested. Yeah. And oftentimes that ends up feeling really awkward. Um at the beginning of this section, because we kind of ended where uh, we ended last time where Paul had defeated Jameis. Mm -hmm. And we started off this section of reading where Paul is basically told, Oh, because you defeated Jameis, his wife is now yours. His (laughs) children are now yours. His home is yours. His, his coffee cart business is yours. (laughs) 
<laughs> really, which, really which doubling, tripling on, down on which that. you can yeah. get to in a minute. Oh man! And and there is and and Paul even wonders this. He he's so surprised by the fact that Jameis's wife, uh, what is it, Hera? I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Hara. Yeah. Um, he's surprised that she's not real tore up about Jameis being dead. Right. And and her attitude is one, well, I'm not going to waste my body's water right. on, you know, crying about this guy. But two, she she has a really weird reaction to this whole thing. Like basically, you know, Paul's given the choice of like, do you want her as your, as your wife or do you want her as your servant? Mm -hmm. And, and she has the strangest reaction, which is like, Hey, I'm still hot. Yeah. I'm young. You should want me as your wife. Oh man. Yeah. And, that was so weird to me. So and, weird. And again, this may be the fact that, you know, it's the 21st century and, and we are who we are and we're the age that we are and we live in the, the era that we live in. Mm-hmm. But that felt so bizarre for her yeah. to be like, it wasn't like, oh my God, my husband's dead. Okay, fine. If you're not going to waste your water over that, I get that. That's part of your cultural upbringing mm-hmm. as a Fremen. Mm-hmm. But... But to be in a place where it's like, oh, well, I would, I, I would like to be your wife now, uh, because mm-hmm. I'm obviously still quite valuable, and yeah, and then be insulted by the fact that this 15 year old kid doesn't want to marry her. So I also I I marked this line, and I'm glad I'm glad you brought this up because I just found this line. This made me laugh so hard. So it's around that where he has to make that decision. Paul Paul has to make that choice, right? And he asks, "If I accept her as servant, may I yet change my mind at a later time?" And yeah. I was like, "What the fuck, Paul? Like, and, well, if and he I has say." If I don't want to bang her now, like, what if I get right. horny later? Is that <laughs> like that's that's the thing? It's like, and, and they're like, well, yeah, you've got a year, you've got a year to decide. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, yeah. yes, you have a year, and and again, that that year too is like another thing where I just feel like Frank Herbert is like, yeah, sure, give him a year, whatever, let him let him decide later, and then she'll decide, and blah blah blah. Like, just the why. Well, yeah, exactly. What was the, what was the need yeah. for that in the story? Was there, and it, it's almost like, it's almost like a placeholder mm-hmm. where it's like, he got to this point and Herbert, and Herbert's thinking, well, I don't know yet. Yeah. Is, is it going to be valuable to him later in the story? Because maybe I haven't figured out all the beats yet. Yeah. And, and, you know could I find this way that this becomes actually a part of the story? Mm-hmm. And it, and it doesn't really, the, the only way no. that it continues as part of the story is the, like he did or didn't make this decision. Mm-hmm. Well, and why, like, again, what is, 
<laughs> who cares about this character? Why why does he inherit this wife? What I, I it seems like she's becoming maybe important later on with uh, his sister now and sh- she's kind of this the sister's caretaker, but that could have been anyone. That uh, and it's just like Well, and it could have still been her. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's right. the thing, right? Like there was nothing about her being Paul's servant mm-hmm. that was like the only way that she could have ended up as the like nurse to to his little sister. Right. Because again, that still doesn't have anything to do with her being his servant. Right. You yeah, know, it's th- not his daughter. There's just that weird aspect of this where it's like women are this commodity in this book and again it's like why how what is it what is it doing like what is it supposed to be telling us about their culture for the fremen i i don't really see well that's i don't know i don't i don't see any like emotional yeah i I was just gonna say i don't see like social commentary right like i i don't understand right and even if you're not gonna have the social commentary right like like there are plenty of books that, especially from this era and before, that are misogynistic and, um, you know, kind of have this very archaic view of of women's roles. Yeah. And the difference that I feel here is that a lot of those books that do that from from that era and before stick solely to that and they stick to it from a male perspective right frank herbert takes it an extra step and gives you the female perspective but the female perspective is always like totally on board Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it's like i mean jessica was happy to be a mistress and not a wife yep she um she is very accepting of any time that she is put in her place below someone else. Yeah. You have Hara, who is upset that Paul doesn't want to be with her. Yeah. You know, like... Well, and the the whole thing with the Bene Gesserit, right? So mm-hmm. their whole thing, they're all women. They all have this insane power to just, seems like, do whatever at a certain point. They can influence people... They, they have this, yeah, I, I don't fully understand it, but this insane amount of power. And yet there's mention of like the the Baron or somebody wanting to buy a Bene Gesserit and all this. Right. And, and Jessica is like, oh, we're Bene Gesserit. We have this power, but we're not supposed to use it. And it's like, why? Yeah. What? You guys are basically the Jedi before the Jedi were a thing, right? You, and you have and all this super magic. Cool with it. They're like... Yeah. 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 And they're like, and yes, it's like, we have all this cool power, but we're okay with not using it because we're not supposed to. Right. But but why? <laughs> what what is going on? And I part of me is like if if these if the Bene Gesserit were men, I think this would be a very different story, right? Oh, I I, I feel like yeah, there's something with Frank Herbert and the sexual politics going on here where you're almost like not supposed to question the Bene Gesserit just not being active because they're women. That's how it, that's how it feels to me. Right. And they, in a way 
had the potential to be the most interesting part of the book. Oh, yeah. And it, it kind of reminded me, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. Big the, fan. The badass grandmas. Yeah. In that movie, right? Like, such a cool addition. Yep. To the movie. And, and total, total stealers of, like, the the focus and the excitement of that movie like everything i saw online uh, after that movie came out was people talking about the badass grandmas right yeah and the and the benny jesserit uh feel like they could have been that yeah they could have been this badass group uh, of women who have this power who really make a difference Mm -hmm. and instead they're just uh they're just clipped at every at every point yeah they're just they're just kind of there yep yeah i I don't know i i mean like i said i i i haven't seen the original movie or anything so maybe they become these crazy badasses at the end of this but it certainly (laughs) doesn't feel like it's going in that direction yeah and that would be a that would certainly be a surprising turn <laughs> yeah. at this point. Twist. But I wouldn't put anything past Herbert because everything changes constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of I, I was thinking about this too. Remember when so we've talked about this before, about how each time we read a section we're kinda like, Yeah, so that whole thing that was set up in the previous section never never came back. It didn't matter. I I was thinking right. about this where we, we ended with uh I, I think I think it was the last section where Paul is like, my mother is my enemy. Mm-hmm. And a hundred and something pages later, it's not referred to ever again. Don't know. You know, he's, he's cool with his mom. Mom's cool with him. They're not even really thinking about that kind of stuff. She's worried about him. I don't know. He's worried about the, you know, well, riding we, the worm, <laughs> which is not a euphemism. Well, maybe, maybe something happened in that, uh, that period of time that Herbert jumped over completely. yeah right right forward like at least a year right uh two years yeah two years and and it just happens suddenly yeah yeah but it's like what we what we were frustrated with at the very beginning when they were like we're on caladan now we're on arrakis yep um and and he skips over this whole part that could have been an important part of the story and again, it's like, okay, I need to get to this point, but how do I get there? Yeah. I'll just skip forward. I'll just go there. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah. We're there now. Yeah. And and so so there are things like that. And like uh you know, may, maybe that does come back, maybe but it certainly doesn't seem that way. I mean, even even Jessica's feelings toward Chani, right? Yeah. Change. They yeah. they've changed on a dime because we've jumped forward two years and we don't know what has made her change her mind. Yeah. Yeah. But, and now she's like, Oh, I love Chani. She's so nice. She's she's great. But she hedges her bets yep. at the same time. Yep. When Hara's like, I don't think you really want him to marry Chani either. And she's like, Yeah, you know, maybe you're right. <laughs> like, what 
you can't have it both ways you can't yeah. be like this person's great i'm so glad he chose her even though i hated her and yeah maybe i don't like her now that someone mentions it again yeah it is it is like being on a on a roller coaster with <laughs> with herbert yeah but it, it's like all of a sudden it's a 90 degree turn in the roller coaster and <laughs> you might fly out of your seat yeah and he's like, eh, yeah, it's... I don't care. Just going with it. It does. I, again, I, I feel like, you know, I'm going to say stuff like this and it's, it's just going to be harsh because but it's how I feel like this. This book very much to me feels like draft material. Like there's there's a mm-hmm. lot of cool stuff in here. Cool ideas. Um, I don't know. Cool imagery here and there. Some interesting characters and stuff. But the 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 way it's just all over the place and the way that these plot threads will pop up and then they'll just vanish it, it just yep. feels so unintentional like he was he sat down night after night at or, or day after day whatever at his uh at his typewriter and was like all right i got my drink i got my uh my tab of acid and uh i'm just gonna fucking go for it i need i need to try that <laughs> Maybe I'd, maybe I'd be more productive as a writer. Well, well, I was thinking about this. And so here was my here was my question for you, Ryan. This is, this is again, kind of like big picture. My, my question is like, I'm trying to understand why this book blew up so much. And I'm like, is there a historical significance with science fiction that I'm missing here? That's like, this was the first book to be over 800 pages. <laughs> Like, like this was the first ever sci-fi book to involve a psychic character or something like a prophecy. I don't know. Like what, what is it that, that, or was it, or was it just that everyone was on acid and they were like, this book is trippy, man. Spice, man. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know why it, it's, got the place it's got and and how it ended up here um i think part of it has to do with probably its place as like kind of ecologically minded sci-fi right um because that was kind of like like terraforming where the 60s headed right it was like it was like people were starting to kind of tune in to the environmental impact that humans were having. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't remember like the, the year that like Rachel Carson's, um, uh, book came out. Now I'm totally blanking on, on the name of it. Uh, I, I mean, I, I took like an environmental literature class when I was in college. So like those, there are a lot of books like that, that, you know, I, I vaguely remember reading, and uh oh silent spring so that was kind of like yeah 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 so i can't remember when that came out but that feels like a similar time period uh 1962 so yeah uh three years before this book actually right Hmm. so this was kind of when when at least when the more progressive minded members of of the country were kind of tuning into these issues yeah and and i don't know where it's where it's places among sci-fi that dealt with that but i imagine it was probably one of the the early 
or the early books that that kind of dealt with environmental impact yeah i guess though like because i've heard people say that 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 the ecology in this book was really impressive for its time and that they they love the the use of ecology in this book and other than kinds being an ecologist and there being a lot of sand and some talk of terraforming i i don't really understand what they're talking about so like what are you seeing here that that would be like that's what's standing out to people when they're you know when they were first reading this i think there are two things i think i think one being the the focus of water mm-hmm. as this this vital resource that is in scarce supply. Unless you want coffee, in which case in, we got it. Well, <laughs> got yeah, it in spades. I mean, make make the coffee with the tears of your enemies. <laughs> um, it I I imagine that at this point there wasn't a like water was taken for granted. Right at least in the first world, right? Like yeah. in the United States at this time, people probably weren't thinking about water being a limited resource. Right. Now we live in an era where many places in the summer are told to conserve water. Uh, we're very aware that water is not this infinite resource that that we can just do what we want with. Right. And so I think that's that I think that's one, yeah. because I think that people feel like it was prescient, right? The the second it would be kind of the the desertification um, of a planet, mm-hmm. which again I think at that at that time was something people weren't spending a lot of time thinking about, right? Um, I think those those items i think the spice i think i mean i could be completely off base i i haven't read any analysis of this but i i imagine that the spice is kind of this stand-in for for oil almost. right you know it, it's this resource that they're all fighting over it's this resource that you have some mysterious corporation uh tied Chum. to you have different uh, cultural identities and tribes connected to it. So it feels very much like this allegory of how we fight over oil in the Middle East or something. Yeah. And, I mean, the biker gang fits in because they need oil for their bikes. Absolutely. And again, <laughs> if, if the... If this book was about the biker gang and the badass grandmas, I'd be all in. You know, you say that, but I I wrote, I I marked some lines. I'm getting so sick of the Fremen. I just, I want them to shut up (laughs) most of the time. (laughs) Like, I I marked this line and I literally wrote in the margin, because I was like, yeah, I just want to, I just want to mention this, that the dialogue gets very annoying to me. But uh, I think this was, uh, what's his name? Um, Stilgar, I think. Or maybe it's, yeah, Stilgar. You must ride the sand in the light of day that Shai Halud shall see and know you have no fear, Stilgar said. 
Thus we turn our time around and set ourselves to sleep this night. And I just like, shut up. <laughs> just talk normally. <laughs> I'm getting They're... so irritated with their whole, like, ah, we are kind of shaman, sort of. And so we talk in this weird, formal way. And blah, blah, blah. So I'm it's not on board for a though. book about them. <laughs> Need them to stop. Well, I didn't say it had to be written like that. <laughs> like, let's draft okay, someone okay, else to write that's a fair. book about the. <laughs> but, but yes, the, the the way that they talk is is also really inconsistent, though. Oh, like, totally. It's not, yes, they don't always talk like that, which then makes it when when they do, it makes it even weirder. So, did you pick up on? I I wanted to make sure I didn't miss something here. Chani I felt like I was missing a lot as I read this section. <laughs> Chani eventually in this one section, I don't think I marked it unfortunately, but she starts talking in this like faux Shakespearean thy thou thee like when she's talking to Paul mm-hmm. like thy must do this and thou thou stead and blah 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 and I was just like since when does she talk like a bad Shakespearean play? Well, that's what happens when you're smitten with someone. And, <laughs> is that, is and that since their, like... she realizes since she realizes she's gonna have a have a life and a kid with him, <laughs> she she automatically, you know, drops into the, the Shakespearean smitten language. <laughs> they get very formal is how they show I mean, that that's how they flirt. Don't don't you remember that stage from from when you and your wife were dating? <laughs> <laughs> we called each other thou and thee. Right. Thou's wouldst thou yeah. wouldst thou accompany me to supper? I mean, that's still how I text to my <laughs> wife. I mean, right? It's <laughs> Dost thou desire uh steak and potatoes? Right. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. I, I dare you to spend a week texting your wife that way. <laughs> just without explanation Uh, (laughs) oh man that's perfect yeah i'm gonna do it um see see how long it takes for her to to have some serious questions about your mental health oh she would just punch me just be like no enough we're done no more of that once once was enough ben cool your jets yep we're over that phase We, we already did that so so I know we're pushing uh, an hour at this point, but I did have something, uh, at least one thing that I wanted to to touch on, and mm-hmm. it kind of deals with with the language. Um, I'm gonna try to. I marked some pages here, so there's okay. <laughs> when we're when we're in the section with the Harkonnens and mm-hmm. and the Count and the count's wife and they're at the like gladiatorial fight or whatever Mm -hmm. so the way that the count talks oh god drives me insane i was so annoyed with all the uh, and and so this this brought to mind a a question that i have about writing in general Mm -hmm. and and I often wonder how other, how readers and how writers feel about it, which is writing in a dialect. Yeah. 
Um, I feel it's extremely hard to pull off. Yeah. And, and I tend to prefer saying someone has an accent rather than trying to emulate it in the, in the way I write the dialogue. Right. I think that it's really easy for that to fall into, to parody Mm -hmm. or stereotype. And, and some people do it great. Roddy Doyle has a very distinct style of, you know, writing with this Irish lilt. Right. Um, this reminded me of that because he's obviously the only one who really talks like this. And it would be easy and easier to read if it was just described once or twice. Yeah. You know, um, rather than than putting it into the the actual writing of of his dialogue because these drawn out hmms and ahs and you know it's it's like does he have a speech impediment <laughs> is he is he um like me and have a hard time getting the 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 words out of his out of his mouth sometimes so uh, and I don't know, like it's not explained why he talks this I, way. I think it might be. Um, so <clears throat> I have a a theory on that that is mentioned very quickly, and I'm trying to find where it was, but right after that section, I want to say it's right at the end of that chapter. I'm you can probably hear me flipping through the book right now, but he when he's talking to the woman that he's with, who I think is Benny Jesserit. They they stop doing that, and it says something about how they have a coded language that is very, like, humming, like humming, buzzing. Right. It's kind of, yeah, here it is. In the same humming tongue, she said the lad knew the gladiator wouldn't be drugged. There was a moment of fear, yes, but no surprise. And so I thought maybe what's going on there is that they're actually talking to each other in code or something like that, but... I don't know. I, I might be reading way too much into it and that maybe the humming tongue is mean. just, yeah, maybe that is just the dialogue. Is like, is like Herbert described it, right? Yeah. But then he proceeds to draw it out every time the dude talks. Yeah. And if it is them talking in a coded language, there are other ways to show us that because he's not telling us what they mean. He's not telling us what they're actually saying. Right. That's some code to each other. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah, I found this other line. Count, found, Count Fenring faced his lady, spoke again in their personal humming code tongue. So yeah. I, I do think that's going on. But yeah, I agree. Regardless, he doesn't have to write it out every time. Right. So... So two things one one more thing on on this which is um so when code for failure was coming out Mm -hmm. originally um which which is a book that's largely based on on my life Mm -hmm. and and there's a character in it who was a very real person and the dialogue um between her and the main character was almost word for word of real conversations mm-hmm. and and she was half deaf um so you know she she had some vocal difficulties because of that 
and I simply just noted that right in the in the text right the original publisher and editor really wanted to and attempted to change this on his own without saying anything to me oh change the dialogue um to be this really terrible stereotypical clipped dialogue oh no and and it was it was so bad i mean when i when i caught it i'm glad i did when i caught it i was i was so offended yeah and and, i mean for multiple reasons i was offended on on the behalf of anyone who would read that who who was deaf and um and had vocal difficulties um i was offended that he had changed the writing itself i mean for so many reasons but but again that's uh it's so easy to describe the way someone talks yeah without trying to emulate it with text yeah well and we we know that frank herbert isn't one to like again describe that interiority and stuff right so i i feel like his for whatever reason he's just not the kind of author who's actually going to take the time to explain that or explain how someone feels or talks or whatever you know what i mean he's just going to write it into this hard to read dialogue yeah and and so then um because i wasn't even thinking about this as we talked about it earlier uh, his uh, the count's wife um i believe she's his wife his companion whoever she is mm-hmm almost has autonomy for a moment when when Harkonnen's what is it his nephew or something um when he offers to dedicate his his win to her Mm -hmm. and she's like no don't don't do that right and I was like okay she you know we have we have a character who stood up for herself and was firm about it and then by the end of all that she's like scheming to seduce him to get something out of him yeah it was it was like it went right back to yeah to that transactional attitude of yep. of women in the book yeah um and and when we were talking about this earlier i had totally forgotten about that until i opened the book to that part again yeah and I'm 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 also glad that you that you mentioned that section of the book too because that I, there was something in there that I wanted to reference about what I was talking about with story beats right of of Anne's versus Butts and Therefores because I think the nephew is a perfect example of this. First of all, I don't really know what the nephew is bringing to the book so far. I, I don't really know why we need that plot thread. So. That's something that I would potentially cut. But regardless, there's a potential there to have some drama for the character uh, of that nephew and maybe even for the Baron, where um, the the nephew essentially is going through all of this because he's going to try to assassinate his uncle, the Baron, right? But the way that Herbert goes about showing all of that is like we don't really know what's going on and he's he's jumping between characters heads so much that there's a really simple subplot here 
that would be pretty easy mm-hmm. to make dramatic, right? Where it's like, all right, nephew, here's what I have to do. I have to kill this guy who I'm going to fight with, but make it look like I was set up so that, you know, the slave master is going to be killed. I'm going to replace the slave master who's going to set up an assassin, right? Like, that's actually pretty clever. And, and I don't know, it's an interesting plot. But like, Herbert, hop, he, he head hops so much mm-hmm. that even that is very chopped up. And we kind of have to puzzle out by the end of it that that's even what happened. You know what I mean? So right. it, it's like he's he he's not giving us enough to me. He he's not giving me enough time to understand the character's goal, what it means to them, and the the but and the therefore, right? Because there is some of that going on there. I want to kill my uncle, but I have to set up an assassin. Therefore, I have to go into this ring and I have to fight this guy. But this guy's actually more dangerous than that. Therefore, I have a struggle. But I kill him. But (laughs) when I try to have my uncle assassinated, he kills my assassin. Therefore, Mm -hmm. I have to defend myself and not get killed by my uncle or whatever. You know, like, but instead, the way it's written is like, all right. There's a fist there or there's a there's a fight here with the nephew and he set it up so that he's going to kill the slave master or whatever, have the slave master killed. And uh, Baron Harkonnen discovers that he was almost assassinated and the nephew set it up and, you know, and it's just like it, it doesn't feel like we're in the character's shoes at any point. It just feels like we're we're at this surface level as. Herbert kind of yanks us from one point of view to the next and we're left mm-hmm. to kind of be like, Oh, I see what the plot was there, but I, I don't feel the drama of, of really any of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, and the Baron is oddly chill. Oh yeah. About his nephew trying to kill him. Right. Uh, which, which seems out of character because he's, he's pretty hot headed and, and pretty quick to anger and, and to revenge but but since it was his nephew he was kind of like uh boys will be boys (laughs) (laughs) pretty much okay yeah like i don't know if if it was if it was a family member who was plotting to to assassinate me i feel like i might be more angry right that (laughs) it's like you (laughs) you know yeah it's like i get it if it's a stranger or you know someone i worked with or or something but come on (laughs) the own family (laughs) yeah well and again what you mentioned about the characters just feeling disconnected from everything right there there's just no there's no palpable sense of emotional drive to any of these characters they're all very Mm -hmm. like they're intellectually plotting out whatever is going on with them. There, there's no, even Paul, you know, his, his main thing is like, I'm worried about, he keeps mentioning race consciousness and the, the coming jihad. Right. Mm-hmm. But what he, I don't know. He's, he's afraid of seeing that future, which I kind of get, but 
I, I also feel like I'm now as as we're further into the book, I'm getting so little of Paul. I'm getting a lot of Fremen stuff. I'm getting a lot of mm-hmm. Jessica. I'm getting a lot of Baron Harkonnen. Now I'm getting the nephew. I'm bopping back and forth between all that and uh, what's his name, uh, Hawat, and Paul is relegated to, I don't know, he's kind of the central figure, but he's not really driving the action. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like, what what does any of it amount to in terms of emotional core of the story, right? And And that's, you know, for where we are in the book, the plot has has ticked up, right? There are things happening now where when we started this book, we were like, are things going to happen? Because it's taken a while. Well, it's it's been a long time since the board meeting. Yes, but we, we haven't had another one. <laughs> no, we haven't had a board meeting in a while. But my problem is, and I mentioned this last episode, that even the action that we're getting is so kind of, Mm, it's just kind of happening, right? The The stakes are very rarely clear or present for what's actually happening. So, you know, Paul's about to ride a worm and it's like, here I go, I'm going to ride the worm. I'm going to go here and I'm going to go unite the tribes and then I'm going to probably have to fight this guy and blah, blah, blah. And it, <laughs> and he rides the worm and is like, oh yeah. Riding this worm. I, I get why they warn you about being too cocky. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And we already know, I mean, Herbert has, has pretty much spoiled the ending of the book over and over again anyway with all these these things from the princess's journal or whatever where it's like, we know what's going to happen. Paul's going to unite the tribes. He's going to defeat the Harkonnens. He's, he's going to be, like, like, it just feels like we already know the ending. And we're just kind of going through the motions. And, and, and even, you know, the fight with, like like, the action that we get fight with the the nephew and the 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 slave gladiator guy and all this stuff. I don't mm-hmm. I don't have any emotional connection to any of those characters. Like I I want right. to see the nephew get killed just cuz I don't like him, but it's pretty clear they're, he's not going to die in that section, you know. They're action figures on a set. Yes. And um yeah, I mean, like you say we kind of we we have pretty much the idea of where this is all going the really interesting slash frightening thing is that you know there's about a hundred pages left (laughs) how can how can all that all everything that needs to happen yeah how does that fit into a hundred pages so so what are we gonna what are we gonna not have that we would expect to be in there somewhere. Yeah. And how much time are we going to end up skipping over? Right. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I basically had this moment where I was reading along and I was like, you know, I feel like I'm just kind of waiting for, all right. When is, when is Frank Herbert going to pull all this together? When, when is he going to, mm-hmm. he's going to tie all these hundreds of different threads that he's got going on into something that makes meaning of all of them. And they, they're all going to connect and I'm going to be like, oh, now I see what's going on with the Bene Gesserit and this prophecy and all this stuff and all this. And that connects with the Harkonnens and Jessica being a Harkonnen. It all ties together. And I don't know, I, I'm really losing faith that uh, that's going to happen. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we're at that point, right? Like I tend to 
when I'm reading anything uh, in the last 50 to 100 pages, depending on how long the book is, Mm -hmm. I tend to start thinking about how is this going to get to the end? Yeah. Like what, what is the writer about to do here to get us there? And it's, and it's not in a bad way. Like that's just how my brain works. Like I, I recognize that, you know, I'm reading a story and, and there are things that have to happen to be able to tie those up. And, and I get curious about how that's going to all occur. And I think we're at that point. Like, I don't think there's any more, any more waiting in a, in at page 600 and pay in a 700 page book, you know, whatever it is where there's no more waiting to, to start tying this up. Yeah. So our next episode could be very interesting, uh, in one direction or the other, either we're going to be very confused about, um, everything (laughs) or, or we're going to come back and we're going to be like, holy shit dude pulled it off yeah i would love to have that reaction i would love to come back and be like we were so wrong this book blew my mind how many how many times because because i do this a lot too where i'm reading a book and i'm like okay yeah like you know this is pretty good not not amazing Mm -hmm. but this is a pretty good book and then something just like really clicks mm-hmm. at the end and you're like okay like in my head this just went from being a three-star book or a three-star movie to a four-star movie because or or book because that ending yeah. really pulled it the fuck off yeah. right like so i mean i obviously we're we're not super generous so far with our assessment of this book but but it absolutely could have an uptick yeah. if somehow it pulls all this off. Yeah, I agree. And and I and I do think that it would be amazing given everything we've gone through <laughs> to get to this point journey. in this book <laughs> that that if we're rewarded with a good ending I I'll be pretty happy yeah. about that. Yeah, same. I I will say so, I did I did start googling <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I started Googling Dune overrated just to just to see just <laughs> to see what's out there in the world and what people are saying. And from what I was reading, I don't think there's going to be some big twist that blows our minds. Just just based on some of what I saw. I didn't spoil too much for myself, I don't think. But well, yeah, well, given that I'm a I'm a pessimist in general i don't know that i'm like expecting a miracle here yeah but i would definitely be pleasantly surprised if if we got one yeah i i would too and I, and yeah so yeah so well, go ahead I, I was just gonna say um because i think you know we're over an hour we probably want to end soon i i did i wanted to ask you though did you have any other lines that that made you laugh um, or that that you highlighted or anything. I I had a couple that I just really quickly wanted to mention, but I want to know if you picked up on any as well. There was a part that made me laugh, and and I actually have the page marked, but now I can't like remember exactly what it was. There was one thing that I thought was poignant, um, which was the the um, the line that started one of the sections which was the concept of progress acts as a protective mechanism to shield us from the terrors of the future. Right. Which 
I mean, I felt it was like so American. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I like but that. But other than that, yeah, I mean, there were there were definitely parts that made me laugh quite a bit. Um, and, and like I said, I marked one, but now I, I can't find it. Okay. I had I had at least, I'll go over, I guess, at least two if, if you're cool with that. I know we're over time, but. Yeah, go for so it. So when Paul and Jessica get to the siege for the first time or whatever, they, they, they get to where everyone's chilling out, right? The Fremen are, are hanging out here. This is, this is relaxy mm-hmm. time. Jessica's line. <laughs> This just makes me laugh so much. So Paul's like, man, it stinks in here, right? And his mm-hmm. his mom goes, all right, so it says, he heard his mother cough, and her voice came back to him through the press of the troop. How rich the odors of your siege, Stilgar. I see, I see you do much work with the spice. You make paper, plastics, and isn't that chemical explosives? <laughs> I was just like, what, what, again, the, the kind of like anachronisms of, of this world and Frank Herbert's kind of like mixing and matching of, of this new world, uh, spiritualism and tribal terms and stuff just with like this outlier of like, Mm -hmm. ah, and is that chemical explosives? I was just like, who writes that line? (laughs) It was just so funny to me. (laughs) Well, you know, there's coffee, there's chemical explosives. Mm, chemical explosives. You can't you can't have one without the other. <laughs> the I warming mean, aroma. Well, hang around the I've, fire and uh I've got a coffee maker in my office and you know, the first thing people say when they come in is like, Oh, it smells like coffee and chemical, chemical explosives, explosives in here. Hmm. So rich. The aromas. <laughs> oh man. And then all right, I'll skip over that one because that was just me more ranting and being confused. Um, <laughs> so again, uh, this is this is going to be my theme for like how whacked out I feel like the the nature of of the world building here is is the stuff with the coffee. So I had to just highlight and and at the start of one of these sections, it's actually after the two year jump where Jessica's just hanging out. And not only is she drinking coffee, but there are coffee tables in this world. In this world where people have to drink their own urine because they wear these suits. And everyone's like, oh, I've never even seen water over land and stuff. She's got a coffee table. Someone brings her coffee. She's just chilling out. And I'm like, Frank Herbert, you know that coffee is made with water. Yes. But are there coffee table books? <laughs> well, I think actually the coffee tables are where they keep their chemical explosives. The way that we kind of we kind of keep potpourri around, right? Well, you know, it is a conversation starter. <laughs> clearly, it's, clearly, it's a lovely chemical explosive you got there. Is that new? <laughs> ah, and this one, it it has quite a quite a smell to it as well. Hmm, I love that. I. I I found myself wishing that coffee was in the place of spice. Yeah. And and I liked to imagine all these people trying to harvest ground coffee <laughs> out of the desert. Like so they grow coffee beans on this planet? Is that a thing? And don't on a planet without water. <laughs> yeah. Like we you know that, that that would that would require water. How are you growing anything? Yeah. And they they make a big deal out of these uh, dew traps or whatever they call them 
where they they, mm-hmm. they plant this thing and it's like oh so clever it catches the water and then they're like yeah let's get a cup of coffee go to the go yeah, to the well, let's go to the starbucks know. and uh chill out have a frap priorities yeah i mean if, <laughs> oh, if, if we ever get to the point where water is this scarce on on our planet and absolutely guarantee there are going to be people who use their ration solely for their coffee. oh totally i mean but here's the thing right if if it was made into a big deal of oh my god they have coffee in this siege holy shit this is great what a luxury right right and and jessica does say something along the lines of that's oh, it's interesting how how much more comfortable we are in the sieges versus out in the desert but that's that's well, all we get know. on the fact that you're you're just drinking a cup of coffee and everyone people are out in the desert dying because they cried and they lost that amount of their body as water. You can't cry over your dead husband. <laughs> but you can have this lovely cup of coffee from his coffee stand. Yes, from his coffee stand. Celebrate oh, his life. It's so funny to me. With a, with a punch card at his coffee stand. <laughs> Uh, it just it just cracks me up. I and I did I I will I will admit I googled Dune coffee just to be like is anyone else picking up on this? And there's like a Reddit thread too I think where someone is like what is going on with the coffee in this book? And some people came in and they were just like eh, you know it's it doesn't really dehydrate you you know it's just like water and uh. and uh. If you're wearing a still suit, it's probably fine. Or if you're in the siege, it's probably fine. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? This book, this whole book, is like, where's the water? We need water. We don't have water. We live on Dune. When I when I went to work up in the Arctic Circle doing construction years ago, we had a whole day of training on dehydration, mm. and and it was like really drilled into us. And it was like, yeah, they talked a lot about you know, coffee being a diuretic mm-hmm. and um, because everyone up there drinks coffee all day long. Yeah. So it was really like, they were like, you will dehydrate, drink twice as much water as, as coffee. Like, so, I mean. Well, did you have your it, still suit on? It is. Well, that's true. I did not have a still suit. <laughs> I, I don't think Carhartt was making those yet. Ah, uh, yeah. That's a more recent thing. I hope Carhartt exists in the future and is making space. I, I would not be surprised if a couple a, a couple pages from now, Herbert just comes out with like a and then the uh, the Fremen encountered this guy and he he took off his Carhartt jacket and said you know let me let me try I'm, that still suit instead of my Carhartt. I'm I'm really regretting not writing Carhartt into Zero <laughs> now. That's spacesuits and stuff <laughs> it, it all should have not should have been carhartt branded i mean missed opportunity recommended if you work for chome right <laughs> <laughs> well i think on that note um you know we'll we'll have some dreams of coffee and <laughs> and we will get to reading the final chunk of dune and and see what we see And we'll talk at you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye.